0: Essie's got them all right. Thank you, Essie. So if kids want to go back there, they can. The rest of us, let's stand for a little bit. Let's take our Bibles. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive. The incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Kids, young people. Exciting time. You can look at things like say, oh, where's the world going? Or you can look at it and say, wow, what a great opportunity. Amen. Amen. And if you look at it according to the Bible, you're going to say, wow, what a great opportunity. Jesus took the children in Matthew 19. Jesus took the children up in his arms and he blessed them. You know, it'd be interesting. What did he say? I don't know. But I think he just spoke blessings over them. Matthew 19. Do we have that? There we go. So they brought him to Jesus. The parents brought the children to Jesus. Instantly, parents bring their children to Sunday school, which is good, amen, or kids' night out or vacation Bible school. But the training really begins in the home, amen? So Jesus laid his hands on them, and he prayed. And I think each Sunday, you always have to remember who's around you, who's watching you. If you're an adult, you've got kids watching you. And so so your influence is bigger than what you think. Even if they're not your kids, they're watching you. And so you can take your hand real easy... Bless them, bless them, lay your hands on them. You know, and we're overseas, especially India, no one leaves, no one leaves. Kids are sleeping on tile floors and so forth. No one leaves until they have a hand of blessing on them. And so uh, it could be midnight, they're still going to have a hand of blessing. The parents want that. So Jesus put his hands on them and blessed them. The disciples rebuked the parents, all right? And, and, said, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not talking about water baptism. It has nothing to do with water baptism. People will make doctrines out of something that are not scripturally correct. It's all about blessing children. Amen? So, so Jesus laid his hands on them. He laid his hands on them, he blessed them, and then he left from there. So, so it has everything to do with the blessing. We should do this in our homes. We're always doing this at our house. We did it yesterday again. We had a family meal and so forth. So even could be the big kids. We're they just they'll wait at the door and they're waiting for us to hug them and bless them. Could be our adult children. Our adult children. My son is now much bigger than me. He's a weightlifter and so forth. And uh, he'll wait. He'll wait for the blessing. And I'll, and I'll hug him and bless him and so forth. And same for all the kids. Even kids they bring with them to meals, they're going to wait for a blessing. So all this is important, amen? It's something you, you just do is you should make it a habit in your life. of blessing the people that are around you. Jesus did it. We can do it too, amen? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can do this. Yeah. You can do this. Now, from there, you know, we remember the, the, the triumphal entry in Jerusalem, Matthew 21. Of course, it was emotional. People are coming into the city, you know, and and all these things are happening. Now, what's wonderful about it also is that parents brought out their kids. First of all, parents can be emotional. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you today are kind of like uh, maybe needed another hour of sleep, but you have to shake yourself. You can be excited for Jesus and their kids were all right. So, so. Of course, they brought him into the city and so forth. But let's go to verses 14, 15 in that area, uh, 14, 15, 16. So then people came into the, Jesus brought, you know, kind of cleansed the temple. Then people came, Jesus healed them and so forth. The scribes and Pharisees saw the wonderful things that Jesus did. Children were crying in the temple, Hosanna the son of David. And of course, the religious people were indignant, but, but children were excited Children were excited. So we're not just talking about just noise. We're talking about godly noise where they're excited for Jesus. They're, they're praising him and so forth. So children are running around praising Jesus, worshiping him and so forth. And Jesus just said, do you hear what they're saying? Uh, they said, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus, said, yeah, I hear what they're saying. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, nursing infants, your perfected praise? And that comes from Psalm 8. But God wants children not only to be blessed, but to be used. And I believe, I believe we have to uh, constantly endorse this in our homes. Constantly encourage these things. Speak these things. Speak life over our children or over any children that you're around. Speak life. Speak blessing. Remember years ago, there was a young uh, child that came with the, our kids to church and so forth. And she was going to go into school, uh, just going to start school. And she said, I hate school. And I said, how can you hate school? You've never been to school yet. But, you know, her mama didn't didn't finish school and so forth. She hated school already because of a mentality that she heard at home. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I said, that's not the way you're going to think. Jesus blessed you with the mind. He blessed you with talent. And you're going to be blessed in school. And from that time, she'd come to church here. She'd come to our house for meals. We'd speak blessings, blessings, and blessings. And that girl grew up, graduated from high school, now graduated from college with her degree, and so forth like that. And so because of, because of a change in someone speaking into her life, it wasn't even our daughter, but, but God spoke to her, changed her life for His glory. You, you've got a powerful witness. Amen. And so there's so many things that people hear in life that are negative. Well, speak something that's positive. Speak something that will counteract the negativity that, that, that they hear in the world. Amen. Amen. See, you have to do that yourself because otherwise you're, you yourself are going to be overwhelmed by negativity. If you feast on the things of the world, it's going to be negative. That's like trying to attach yourself to the false vine, trying to find life, and you're never going to find life. Life is only in Jesus. So you have to speak life to yourself, to others, around you. And folks, you don't stop doing it. So, like I say, our children are growing, they have their own children and so forth, all these things. We're still doing it, though. You don't stop doing it. It's a, parental, uh, it's a parental blessing that you can do it. Sometimes people think, well, now they're parents. Now they're off on their own. Now they're off on their own, but you still can do that. You still can speak blessings. They can live in another state. You can still text blessings. You can still uh, FaceTime them. You can speak things over them. Amen? You don't, you don't ever stop doing the things that God wants you to do. Now, in 1 Corinthians then, 1 Corinthians 14 uh, the Bible here kind of gives us a model. Don't be, uh, don't be uh, children, uh, immature, childlike in your thinking. Be infants in the matter of evil, completely innocent and inexperienced, but in your minds be mature. Now the King James would also say, say it's a model to follow, but just, just forgive quickly. Children forgive quickly, right? So so we don't want to be immature thinking in our minds, but we want to be like children when it comes to evil things. Innocent, inexperienced, someone does something like, okay, and then the next minute they're playing again. You want to be childlike in forgiveness, but you want to be mature in your spiritual responsibilities. Amen. So, so you, you, you know, the world itself, of course, is holding offense on everything. Every, everybody fights Everybody anymore. There's the authority structures of the world. The devil has torn those down. So people don't respect government. They don't respect the police. They don't respect school teachers. They don't respect parents. Well, where's that gonna, where does it start to reverse that? Well, it's going to start in our homes. Amen? So, so in, in, when it comes to the ought and bitterness and so forth, we've got to be like children. Forgive quickly. But when it comes to spiritual understanding, we have to be like adults. And understand that we need to, we have responsibility and we need to go forward and train those around us. Amen. So the children give us an example. Now, Proverbs 22, 6 is a classic verse. Train up a child in the way in which they should go. So you train up a child, you teach them wisdom, uh, abilities, talents. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, who's going to do this? Parents are parents are going to do this. So this is if we think if we think well the church is going to do that but they're only here you know an hour each week or something. Not going to happen, right? They're in the world all the time 24 hours a day. And now we say 24 hours because lots of kids have phones and so forth they're on their phones which you should manage. You should always check your child's phone incidentally. Can you to hear the parents say amen. Even if you're, let me say this, if you're married, if you're married, you should check your spouse's phone. Can they hear an amen? Amen. Check your spouse's phone. Check one another out. Be accountable. That's a good thing. But as parents, we train our children. Now, the the bigger thing about training, again, is they're going to watch, right? They're going to watch what you do. So the athlete, you you can have a chalkboard and X's and O's and so forth like that. But what do they do? They go out in a field and they actually do it so that people see it. And the more they see it, the more it becomes just ingrained in them. This is what we do. The same thing in classroom. You can have a lab and you can diagram what what a reaction is. But it's a whole different thing to go into a lab and do the reaction with the chemicals and get the results. Seeing, seeing is a whole lot better than just saying something. Remember, Jesus even said about the Pharisees, do what they say, not as they do. Why? Because they were hypocrites. They were talking a good talk, but not walking the walk. Christianity, you have to walk the walk. Even if you're not that verbal, if you walk the walk, you'll be an example to other people. But if it's all words, you know, sometimes they're just yelling at kids, you did this and you did that and so forth. And people are sitting in their chair not doing anything. It's like that's not the greatest example in the world. So to train, to train, much of it is visual. If kids come to church here and they're watching you, moms and dads, or those standing in front of you, and you're in a worship service like this, that's where they're going to be. But if you're free, if you're free in the spirit and you worship and so forth, then you become an example to others around you. And they can look at what you're doing. They may look at the world or others, but they look at your life and then they think, does it measure up? And that sends a message to them. A good message. But otherwise, otherwise, what do they see? They see dead religion you could be in a church like this and people think, wow, boy, if this church is fired up, people act like this church is fired up. And folks, we're just, we're not that fired up. All right. We just have to be honest. Amen. Can you say amen? We have to be honest. Turn to your neighbor and say, get a little hotter. Get hotter. Fired up. See, and what that involves in is that we really get, we're excited in what Jesus is doing. Again, Jeannie and I can live in revival in our hearts. We're excited about it. But you yourself have to take that and grab that for yourself and for your life and for your kids or for your family or your neighbors. We used to have a neighbor come to our house, neighbor boy, and of course now grown adult and so forth. But he'd come to the house, knock on the door, asking for our son to come out and play. And then we invited him to like kids activities and so forth. And, and, uh, This boy had never been to church in his life. Now, his granddaddy was a professor at the university. Folks had done all these other things. Boy had never been to church in his life. And we were kind of amazed. Oh, really? You know, and then we sang the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Have you ever heard that song? He'd never heard a gospel song in his life. Volga, South Dakota. Never heard a gospel song in his life. And to my knowledge, he never did go to church. And to my knowledge, to this day, does not go to a church. He came to some of the Bible things we did in our garage. Think about this. This was years ago. 30 years ago. Plus. Now think of the world today. Even the statistics, as we talked last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Really good. But think about about the need in our city. Most people, three quarters, 75% of the people in the city don't attend a church at all. Think about that. Attend no church. Don't go. 75% plus. Because the statistics, we've actually done the statistics, but they're skewed because people from out of town come in town to go to church. So those are counted as a church attendees, you know. But that's just, that's any church. Any, Lutheran, Catholics, anybody. And then you bring it down to churches that might preach a born-again message, and it gets real slim. Margins real slim. How many kids might hear about Jesus? Yeah. So the impact then having a the kids night out pretty big. The impact of training your children a light at school. Well, the school things like that. That's just all they're learned. That's all they know. We could say, oh, that's that's terrible. That's terrible. Or we could say, hey, let's let's be a light for Jesus. And sometimes we think, wow, boy, we've got to preach or something. I remember when I got saved. Got saved in a bar. I'm at SDSU. I'm in the lunchroom now. So, and, and I hadn't gone to church, anything. I just started reading my Bible, getting excited for Jesus. And I would be in the lunchroom, and I'd get my plate. I'd set it down, my tray. I'd set it down. I'd close my eyes. I was just thanking Jesus for the food. I was thanking Jesus for the forgiveness, new life that I had had no idea that across Larson's Common, all these kids were watching me day after day after day. Finally, kids came to me and said, what happened to you? I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you're different. And I was different. You're not the same person you used to be. No, I'm not the same person. And I told them about Jesus. People are watching. We were in a restaurant one time, Jeannie and I, and we bowed our heads and prayed for food, which you should do, by the way. It'd be good. And the lady the the waitress comes up to us later and she says, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? And we said, no! I was just kind of like, are you kidding? No! And she said, oh, I've only seen Jehovah's Witnesses pray. Folks, that's a sad commentary. That's in Brookings, South Dakota. Waitress saying that in Brookings. Oh, I've never seen a Christian pray. We could have 12 people at an outing. It gets kind of expensive for us now if we take a big outing like that. But we're still going to stop. Could be hoo-ha and say, well, all right, let's pray here. Everything else is going on. We'll pray. Amen. Amen. Is folks, it's like, is it cosmetic Christianity or do you actually believe it? Are you kind of just wearing a tag? And well, Yeah, we're believers and we go to a church. Or do you really believe it? Are you really thankful for what you have? Your food. Hallelujah. Or your finances or anything else? Are you giving praise to whom praise is due? Or are we just playing a game? If we're playing a game, not a very fun game. <laughs> all right. So, so, so we want to understand that we can grow up serving Jesus Christ with all of our heart. Quickly, I, I'm off topic here. Ephesians 6, let's go on this. Ephesians 6, children obey your parents. Now now this isn't like parents being little dictators in the house, but how about showing children, if you want them to do something, showing them, actually doing it with them. Amen? Doing it with them, all right? So so they said as they accept their guidance, discipline the children do as, as his representatives, you are representative for Christ, of course, who teaches wisdom and self discipline. Well, we should walk in wisdom and we should be self have self discipline, right? Amen. Amen. Go to the next verses there in Ephesians 4. And it says then, that, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Exasperate them. The point of resent, resentment. Demands that are trivial or unreasonable. Oh, boy, you know, how we direct our children is important. So many times people, parents are just putting demands on kids. No, no, no. Not unreasonable. Trivial. Train them. Raise them. All right. Bring them up tenderly with loving kindness and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It would be like saying, you ought to read your Bible. Or you could just say, hey, let's sit down and read some scriptures. Let's sit down and read some scriptures today. You know, if you haven't done it, your kids might go, huh? Huh? What? Who are you? Let's sit down and read the Word. And, and, and for that matter, get some scriptures from... Proverbs loaded with wisdom, but all kinds of stuff to sit down and say, "Hey, let's let's read this. I saw a good verse. Let's read this." Right. Kind of quiet in here. <laughs> I remember I remember having you know, the grandkids, and had all these other friends and so forth around them. Sometimes you have Muslim friends and stuff better at the house, but I had a scripture from Timothy and the last days and the rebelliousness and so forth, all these things. And I said, I, I had, I didn't know who was all going to be. there. I say, hey, I got a good verse, couple of verses today. And they, they're all looking at me. And so, of course, my grandkids know this is kind of normal. And so I began to share the scriptures and they're going, that's good, Papa. That's good. You know, it was good for all these kids to hear it. Amen? Amen. You know, it isn't like, it isn't like you walk away and they're going, boy, your grandpa's just wacko. They don't say that. You know, it's in, fact, in fact, the kids know, The kids know. in fact, if there's real trouble, they'll call my daughter and tell her to call Nani, have Nani pray. Because why do they do that? Because her prayers are answered. It's actually going around the circle, all these young people, those, call Nani, her prayers are answered. Could be anything comes up, they'll say, call Nani. Someone gets hurt in the court, call Nani, her prayers are answered. Well, I believe it's true. 2 Timothy 3. Is it possible for a child not to stray? And the answer is yes. So Timothy is that example. So Timothy is is, uh, uh, continuing the things which you've learned, assured of, knowing where you've learned them, that from a child you've known the Scriptures, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So from a child, Timothy took hold. He had his mother and grandmother... Influencing his life, planting faith in his heart, knowing the scriptures. Now, this is key, of course, knowing the scriptures, right? Because the word of God, the word of God keeps us free. You can't just tell someone and say, you know, that's a sin and that's wrong. We don't, we don't, you don't do that. Well, that doesn't work. It works to read the scriptures and say, well, what does the Bible say? Kids are smart. They know they're faced with all kinds of issues of the world. All right. So so this the question comes down. Well, what does the Bible say about this topic or this topic or this topic? That would challenge you as parents also. Right. What are you planting? So we're not planting religion. We're not planting a a rule book here. Do's and don'ts. We don't do this and we don't do that. No, we have to plant wisdom. What does the Bible say? Because then, then they've got something of substance to hang on to. Amen. It's not your word. It's his word. And it's not just you behind it. It's the Holy Spirit backing it up. It makes a whole difference. It makes a whole difference in how we face things. All right. Let's look at some examples. Luke, uh, Luke 1 verse 80. John the Baptist Grew up from a child, raised by his parents, became strong in the spirit, but strong in faith, and was just in the deserts till the day of his manifestation of Israel. So John the Baptist, uh, uh, here's a word, look here, strong, say strong. He was strong, he's not weak. Uh, Let's not confuse things to say, well, these are just certain people, and so therefore they could do it, but we can't. No, we can do this. Remember now, John the Baptist is in a a nation that's occupied by a foreign country. And so because of that, you have foreign education. You have all kinds of stuff. You have all kinds of gods presented to Roman gods and so forth, presented to people. But here's John the Baptist, who's strong in faith and strong in spirit, to come and declare the way of the Lord. Amen? Genesis 37, here's Joseph. Joseph's 17 years old. So, Joseph, when he started his ministry, <laughs> to say it that way, starting his ministry, he went to his daddy, said, Go check on your brothers. So, little did he realize that he's going to be thrown into a pit, sold as a slave into Egypt, and all the things that was going to happen to him. He's 17 years old. His brothers despised him, his brothers hated him enough, they actually wanted to kill him. They actually wanted to kill him, but Judah delivered them out of his hands, said, no, let's just put him in the pit. Let's just leave him there for a while. He was going to come back and get him. And in the meantime, the Ishmaelites came by, and they sold him as a slave to take the money. Let's not kill him. We'll just sell him. This is better yet because he's still alive, but we've got money. We'll sell him. And they took his coat and put blood on it and so forth to tell their dad as liars that a beast must have killed him. And he's sold, into, he's sold into Egypt, and then Potiphar's at the slave auction, and Potiphar buys him. He's 17 years old. Potiphar buys him, and so he's in Potiphar's house working, but Potiphar sees that what he's doing is blessed, that, he's, that he obeys, he's a good servant, he's doing what he should do. Now, I understand he's in Egypt now, but he's doing all those things, and so Potiphar continually promotes him until he's number one, he's overseeing all of Potiphar's business, Right? He's overseeing all of Potiphar's business. And the only thing that he didn't have, that Potiphar did have, was Potiphar's wife. And so Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph thinking, oh, this is a, this is a young guy. I don't know if she's having a midlife crisis or what. But she says, I, let's have sex together. Let's, let's, let's sleep together. Let's have sex. I think this would be great. And he said, no, no. I have everything. I, I'm in control of all this, this business and so forth except you. No. No. And so he refused, 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 and then one day he's alone. Say alone. Let me just say, you should always be careful when you're alone with somebody from the opposite sex. You should always be careful when you're in that situation. All right? To avoid temptation or to avoid accusation. Because Joseph did nothing wrong. And yet this particular day, the Bible says all the servants were out of the house. They were alone. She's in the house. Maybe Joseph's doing bookwork, And she says, come on, this is our moment. Come on, let's do this. And he stands up and says, no. And she grabs part of his, his robe and so forth. And he runs out and she's got that in her hand and, and then says, look, look, they brought this Hebrew kid in the house and he tried to rape me. Of course, Potiphar believes his wife, which you would. He believes his wife. Joseph is innocent. He's outside, probably carrying on, but realizes now Potiphar's angry and he's sent to prison. So we don't know how old he is now. But you have to understand, how did Joseph, how did Joseph had this character? How did Joseph have moral character? That he didn't hate his brothers, angry at his brothers. Folks, I see people all the time, they are so angry at relatives over trivial things, they didn't do anything, let alone try to kill you. (laughs) All right? They didn't invite me, or they didn't do this. I'm angry with them. Joseph's not angry at his brothers. Joseph's not bitter at his brothers. Joseph's not bitter at Potiphar's wife. Hello? Hello? Now he's in prison, and he's spending time in prison, and he's doing chores, and there's, a, of course, a warden and so forth, so he's doing, he's feeding, probably gave him a job, so he's feeding him, and the warden says, hey, this guy's a good servant, trustworthy, and he put him in charge of the prison. From the inside. Character. And you remember the remember this story, the baker and the butler had the dreams, all right? And so they, they, they're sad someday, they're both sitting there, and, and Joseph says, Well, what's wrong with you guys? Well, we had a dream, and I couldn't, I don't know what it means. And he said, Well, tell it to me. So the butler tells him the dream, and he says, The dream is that and you'll be released. And remember me, when you get to Pharaoh, when he restores your butlership, remember me. To the king. Because I'm falsely accused. And the baker sees that. Well, wow, that was a good interpretation. Here's my interpretation. And his interpretation was the other way. He says, you're going to be hung for your offenses. And the butler's released. And he goes into Pharaoh's court again. And now he's serving and tending to Pharaoh and so forth. I always ask the question. How, how can you have such a dramatic event in your life and forget forget who was the one who interpreted the dream but he did and so 2 years pass say two 2 years pass and pharaoh has his dreams and so forth and he he doesn't know what to do and can't figure it out and the butler thought oh my bad there was a guy in prison who can do this and so pharaoh says there's a guy interpreting yeah there's I mean, that's how I ended up here. And so they call Joseph out of prison. Joseph quick changes his clothes. He shaves, comes before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dreams. Remember the story? It was twice the corn and the cows and so forth. And Pharaoh, Joseph says it's repeated twice because it's going to happen. And Pharaoh says, who, who can we put in charge of all this except this guy who's got wisdom and the Spirit of God in his life? And Joseph goes from the prison to the palace in one day and he's second in command right into Pharaoh and rides in a chariot just like Pharaoh. Now he's got all the power, so to speak, that you could have. But somehow his daddy and his mama must have taught him something as a child as he learned, maybe when he was 10 and 12, and he became a teenager, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and here he is now, who could... What do you suppose? Don't you suppose Potiphar and his wife are like, oof, oof, I don't want to go to that? You know, Potiphar was a notable person. And what do you, what do you suppose when they had some festivities, government festivities, festivities and here's Potiphar's wife? Hello? She could have been hung, Alright? Potiphar could have been demoted and all that. And how about the butler? As the butler standing there, I forgot. All the, he had the power to, to take, to bring revenge on everybody and didn't. And why is that? Because he had character that he learned as a child and he maintained it through his life that brought uh, deliverance, actually, to the whole world because of the, the drought that came on the world and the wisdom that he had. All because of what he learned. You can't, you can't get, get away from this. He learned this someplace. It doesn't just happen. And I have to say, he learned it at home. It's a good thing, amen? He learned it at home to live this way for God. Let's look at David quickly a second. 1 Samuel 16. David was not invited to his own ordination service, right? And Samuel says, hey, is this, is this I'm coming to anoint the next king. Is this everybody here? And, and Jesse said, well, well, there's a young one. He's on the pasture, probably a teenager, right? And Samuel says, well, bring him. We're not going to sit down. We're not going to sit down. We're going to have these festivities till he comes. So they sent and they brought David in. He was ruddy, bright eyes, good-looking. The Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. He was anointed of God. <laughs> I think, again, training from his mom and dad, from Jesse, even though he wasn't invited, played a musical instrument, worshipped the Lord out in the pasture, had the character of God to put his life on the line when his brothers didn't, put his life on the line to defeat the lion and the bear, to, to watch faithfully over that flock, You learn this at home. He became anointed worshiper. He became somebody who played an instrument, played skillfully. Hey, listen! If your kids want to play something, let them play it. Let them play something godly. Find them an instrument. All right. I mean, I mean, just things. People come here and can practice on the drums or guitar or whatever. Here, you know. I mean, just let them learn to play. Amen. Because because God wants to anoint. Young people. So David began as a young person, worshiping, living, and having the character of God in him, in his life. Amen? All right, let's go to Daniel chapter 1 a second. So, this is the case for Daniel. We, you know that story, right? So, how did Daniel get to uh, uh, the next kingdom here, so forth? They instructed the king the masters of the universe to bring some of the children of the king's descendants and some of the nobles and so forth, the young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, had the ability to serve in the king's palace, that that I might teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. So he's in the Babylonian Empire. Daniel's one of four, in specific, three, the other three Hebrew children himself, specifically highlighted here. Now they were captives. They're young people, all right. Understand this: they're young people, they're school age, and they're going to be schooled. They're going to be schooled in the in the curriculum and so forth of the Babylonian Empire. They're going to lose, learn their language and their literature and their customs and so forth. All that's going to happen, and they're young people. Now, keep in mind that when people are taken out of countries like this, their parents are probably killed. So they went in. They took a village, take care of some people, and they bring out. They try to bring the best kids that they think of, and they bring them out of that village, and they bring them into Babylon to make them quote Babylonians. All right. So you have young people now that are facing a new culture, harsh training in with gods and all these other stuff of a Babylonian empire. Their parents are dead. But the point is, what's in their heart? And where did they learn it? Where do you learn to stand in God, to stand in victory, to stand against adversity? Where do you learn this? Well, you learn this, they're learning it at a young age. And so here they are facing these things, all right? So they're good kids and so forth. Now they're in a place they never wanted to be. Verse 6. It says that, that from these... Sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And Daniel purposed, notice this, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, some people call this the Daniel fast. Oh, he proved him and they did it so many days. Folks, they did this for years. (laughs) They lived this lifestyle and were proven and so forth. Notice now, the purpose in their heart, they're not going to defile themselves, which means it's like, no, I have trust in, we would say, Jesus Christ. My trust is in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to live like the world. I'm not going to eat the king's food that's sacrificed to idols. I'm not going to worship those idols. I'm not going to live by those idols. I'm going to live by what has been placed in my heart. Say character. So the purpose in their heart, godly character, I believe, that is mom and dad planted there. Amen? Amen. So, so in other words, mom and dad, moms and dad say, oh, we've got to get it ready because next week we're going to be taxed. So remember this now, if we're not here, to you've got to live for God, you got to do this and that. No, no, that's not good enough. You train as a lifestyle. It's a process. You don't just learn things overnight. You don't just learn things on the board. Oh, here's the board. There, there's the plays for life, guys. No, no, you live by doing it. Don't, Christians, adults, parents shouldn't, shouldn't deceive themselves to think somehow I'm a Christian, so somehow my kids are going to live that way. They will live that way if the word is planted in them that way. Scripture, character, plant, the planted of God, then they'll live that way. Otherwise, we raise people, you know, you, we have a lot of people in denominations, and they're going, even Pentecostal denominations, well, uh, my daddy went here, so I go here too, and there they are like this, you know. I think, you know, people say sometimes, well, let's turn down the lights so they'll really worship, or let's just turn down the lights so we can't see they're not worshiping. Because I turn around and look. And the vast majority of people in Pentecostal churches, they're not worshiping. Some are. I know there's churches with revival. But it's something that has to be taught and lived and acted upon. Amen? Let's go to Acts 21 a second. Acts 21 shows Philip. Now, Philip was one of the first six that served people in the first part of the book of Acts. All right? Philip, Stephen, and so forth. They flowed in the Holy Ghost. Wow, they just, just, God really used them in some mighty ways. It was really, really a blessing. So, Paul and his company comes to Caesarea, and they enter the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, one of the first seven, I guess. Notice, Philip the evangelist, and they stayed with him. Now, Philip has four daughters. And the daughters are virgins. Now, I would call this godly living. Amen. And then it says, who prophesied. And I would say that they probably were preachers. <laughs> Can you say amen? And so he plants moral character, and he plants godly character into his kids. Let me, let me say this about the world today. The world today, so, so this last week has been Pride Week. And so you have parades, and you got all these things on. And people say, oh, look where the world's going. This is nothing new, folks. This has been here forever. Right. Remember, there was a Sodom and Gomorrah like thousands of years ago. (laughs) Remember all through the children of Israel, there were Sodomites and so forth all along the way. Remember that that in Romans, Paul was talking about people that leave their love like in the natural way, a man and a woman. And then pretty soon it goes to a man and a man and a woman and a woman and so forth gets perverted. Remember that? So what we see today is not anything new. It's not anything new. It's just a rehearsal of what the enemy's trying to do to capture people. But here's a guy who's raising his daughters. They're virgins. They have moral character. They're preaching the word. They're standing for Jesus. They're not influenced by the world. So we can be in the world, but all these things prove to us the world doesn't have to be in us. When we, when we bring influences into our house... And folks, this is, this is for us any place we are in the world. We're a light for Jesus, right? People are going to look at us They say, what, what's different about you? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't say God, I say Jesus, because it's Jesus, right? Many gods, only one Jesus. But here's his daughters who are virgins. They prophesied, they've got godly character, they can preach the word. And they've learned this in their home, in their, where they're at. Keep in mind that they're still under occupation. They're still under the Roman influence. So in the schools, you've got Roman influence. In the schools, you've got teaching about the Roman gods. In the schools, you've got liberal sex education. Roman Empire was very lewd. So you've got all this going on around them. And yet here are young people standing for Jesus. Keep in mind, Joseph, Joseph's in in Egypt, you know, with all the other gods and all the things. And now he's in government. They got all these things. They got holidays with all the other gods. And yet he's standing for his God. And he's standing moral ground with his character for the kingdom of God. Look at Daniel. He's in the kingdom of the Babylonians. And again, all the other gods and all the other influences and was forced to learn their language and was forced to pass their tests. Someone said to me one time, he said, I, I just can't take science courses and so forth. I mean, I don't agree with this stuff. And I said, I don't agree either. They said, what should I do? I said, tell them what they want to hear. Said, they want to tell a evolution or whatever. Go ahead. Pass the course. People say, well, that's kind of strange. Well, just pass the course. I wouldn't pick a fight with the professor. Just pass the course. Just get through the course. It's stupid. Hey, my son was just in Wyoming. And south, southeast Wyoming, kind of a desert area. He brings back these things, these fossils. Hey, look at this one, Dad. We were just in the garage. Big clump of thing of rock and so forth. And then you see, here's seashells, picture of a fish. This is in a desert. And then he said there's a a peak. It's like, so the altitude is actually 10,000 feet. It's not just up 10,000 feet, but there's high altitude. And then you can go up there higher. And they've gone up on this peak where there's nothing. It's just desert. And they find these fossils with fish and shells and so forth. I wonder where they came from. I don't think the wind blew them there. I don't think a bird dropped them there. I think there was a flood. You see, the world, the world has all kinds of stuff, weird things and so forth. Folks, you just just choose where you're at but live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. These guys, obviously, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all were living for God. And all rose to prominence in the government system. As they live for God. In a heathen system. In a heathen system, they still rose to this prominence. You know the story, of course, when, when they took the stand, we, you know, where Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to bow down to this image. He says, Mm-mm, too far now. You went too far. Not bow down. We only bow down to one. Amen. Or Daniel, when they set him up and they said, "Boy, the only way we can get this guy is because of his conviction for God." We'll set a trap. So when when they pronounced you can only worship the God of the king, he says, "No, no, I'm not gonna do that." Right. They set a trap, threw him in the lion's den. Right. All of these people thrived under adversity. David was persecuted for years. Anointed king. Oh, the, isn't that what an anointed king? Ran for his life for years. Ran for his life. Persecuted. Because of his calling. Because of God's favor in his life. And yet he never rejected that. Never did anything. Didn't, didn't curse anybody else. Never cursed Saul, who was trying to kill him. Threw a javelin at him. All of these people, in spite of their adversity, they still thrived. They still prospered. And most of it was due to the fact of their training as a young person. Not that you can't learn older. Obviously, Saul of Tarsus got saved and learned older, okay? But, but we're just highlighting here that as a young person, and your influence as an parent or adult in young people is huge. That, you, that they can stand. You can stand, they can stand. You can be in victory, they can be in victory. We don't have to bow to the things of the world. We don't have to allow the world to torment us or overcome us. No, we can be lights in this world for Jesus Christ. We can shine and people are going to ask them a reason of the hope that lies within us. Why are you happy? Why are you happy? Right? What do you have that I don't have? When all the rest of the world, all these other things are happening, and folks, on every front there's things happening. Okay, yeah. keep in mind, keep in mind, the devil puts something out here like the magician, putting if somebody's looking at it, but under here he's doing something with his other hand. There's all kinds of things happening around us in the world around us. So you, can't, you can't focus on one thing. You have to understand, we are in the last days, and this is a time that we shine for Jesus Christ. We don't know when He's coming back again, but we do know that we are His ambassadors. And we can do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can do this. You, find a young. Is there any young people there? Say, you can do this. <laughs> we don't have to be defective morally, spiritually, or anything. We can be strong. We can be strong in Jesus Christ. We can say no to sin. Amen. We can say no to temptations. We can say no to the pressures of the world. Amen. We can say no to those things. Oh, that's not going to make you popular, but it's not a popularity contest. But the point is, it can help some people get saved because there will always be some of those people that that are caught in the valley of decision and then they see your life and they think, I wonder what they got. In a quiet place, they may come and ask, what do you have? What do you have that I don't have? Even years ago, one of the, we're going to close here, but even years ago, one of the Muslim students here at the university and so forth came, saw college kids on fire for Jesus. And so I was contacted and he set up a visit and we met on campus and we had to find a place that was real secure. And then he talked in very low tones. So I leaned over and kind of listened to him as he talked to me because he'd heard about Jesus and he heard about that how good he is and so all the things that he saw in other people's lives. And he was a Muslim, but he said, just by me talking with you now, they'll kill me. You know, right here in Brookings, you have death threats, by the way. Right here in Brookings, you have death threats. And so he had his friends in other countries and he, he once put online something about questioning something about Islam. Just one question. And the rhetorical re- remarks came back. Now we can kill you. You question your faith. Now we can kill you. His mom and dad were evangelists. For Allah. They were evangelists. And he was hungry for Jesus. And so I kept talking to him. Very low tones about Jesus. He Stop and look around occasionally. We'd talk some more about Jesus. And he said, my parents are, are getting sus, they're suspicious because they think I'm not radical enough for Islam. And so they sent one of them to Brookings to be in the mosque. And so I have to go every day to pray. He says, I don't know what to do. And I said, you can go with your parents. You just, you just don't have to pray to Allah. Amen. You can pray to Jesus. Amen. And he'll answer you right where you're at. Get down on your knees. But in your heart, you're praying. Remember, of course, when Naaman got healed, he said, he says, what am I going to do? I'm with my master and I go into the temple and so forth. And he said, don't worry about it. Just go in the temple because you can still worship God. You're helping your master. Your, your life is a witness. This young man saw Christians, real Christians, and he hungered for that. He wanted that truth and that liberty where there's no condemnation and all the other stuff. But what we get in Jesus is real. It's powerful. Some of you listening to me right now, maybe on the internet, you might be in another religion or may not believe at all. But I'll tell you what, you have one that believes in you and his name is Jesus Christ, who came to this world because of you and loves you and loves your life. And he's as close as the mention of his name. He loves you. He cares for you. And he just, just says, Hey, Just call unto me. You can just say, Jesus. And just just call on his name. And he will reveal himself to you. He will do that. He's doing that all over the world. He'll reveal himself to you in a good way. Because he loves you. Let's lift our hands here a second. Lord, we, we recognize we need your help in these days and these times. We need your help, Jesus. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit. You're our helper. That in you, we are strong. We are powerful. And Lord, there's nothing impossible. And we thank you for moving mightily in our hearts and through us, Lord, to the young people in this church, in our, of course, our homes, our families, kids night out, moving amongst the young people there, Lord God, or people that bring them. Father, we thank you for a move of your spirit. I thank you for touching hearts and souls. I thank you for changing lives, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, it's never too late for anybody at any age. To serve you, to follow you, Lord God, with all their heart. I speak blessings over people here, people listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And we open our hearts to you, Lord, for all that you've got for us. We thank you, Lord. We're lights for you. We're your ambassadors. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for raising up a standard of righteousness here in our community, in our state and nation. This world, standards of righteousness for your glory and honor. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing by your spirit in this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now, you want to see kids like even today. You want to bless them. But you want to make it a habit. Amen. Make it a habit of putting your hands on kids' heads and stuff and blessing them and so forth. You can bless those bikes back there. Be a part of Tuesday night. Amen. Or the coming events. Be a part of that. There we go. There we go. As I was listening today here at the end of this message, I felt I heard the Lord say, this is for the kids, the young people. If you'll take courage. Yeah. Because there's so many voices. The Lord said, be strong and courageous. Yes. And I just felt like he said, if you'll take take courage and let them see you, You will be giving courage to those that are watching. Amen. That's right. Take courage. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. All right. Stand up and bless your neighbor. Thank you, Peggy. Stand up and bless your neighbor in Jesus' name. This is a great day to be alive. Amen. This is a great day to be alive. Oh, here. Just one second. Pastor Randy's got another announcement here. Amen. Uh, Kids, stay after.